Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online, a podcast where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. This is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Parenting Team of the Apostolate for Catholic Truth. Presented with the lens of the Theology of the Body, we will see how we can be a sincere gift of ourselves to our kids, in ways that will help them find true happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Hui and I'm your host for this podcast. Today we continue with the third part of our series, interviewing Mr. Brian Shen, a very experienced and much sought-after counsellor and speaker. And in this episode, he will be sharing with us how society can influence our children in so many various ways, and how we as parents can help our children overcome them. Hello Brian, and welcome once again to this podcast well, it looks like a very interesting topic you've lined up for us today. So why don't you just dive in and take it away from here, Brian? Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming back again. And today we'll be talking about the effects of social expectations. Now, before I go on uh, into the effects of social expectations, I'd like to point out that there are three components with regards to social expectations. One is coming from the society itself, and that, if I put it all together, uh, will be transmitted through the media, um, and of course, the social um, expectations that comes through the media, through the newspapers. Now, so that's the first one. Now, the second one is our perception, our perception of what society requires of us. Now, that can be affected by our upbringing, by what people tell us when you hear such things, this is what it really means. So as you can imagine, parents do tell that very much to our children. So for example, when you have a newspaper article that says, oh, this school has 99% of students who pass well, some parents may say, or even teachers or, or our friends may say, what that means is that you cannot afford to fail. You cannot afford to do this. So again, our perception can be changed by what people tell us what things means when it comes to the media. And the third component is how much we want to show to society, how much we must show to society that uh, we are able to do this, we're able to do that. So that is a kind of a self-set, self-set um, expectations that we think society must see us uh, have or do. And again, that also comes from our upbringing um, in various ways. Sometimes it's direct, sometimes it's indirect. So directly, somebody will say. You know, you're not, you're nobody until you get this results, you get that uh, success. But sometimes there are very indirect things, you know, like uh, people praise or, or, or parents may praise other children beside you, other people beside you, okay, and, and you just somehow feel left out, you just somehow feel neglected. So that's a third component. Now, <clears throat> quite a lot of these things can have its effect without us being consciously aware of it. We just feel either a sense of, I must 
meet up, I must catch up, or you just feel a sense of pressure. So, so that's one um, effect of uh, you know where the social expectations is coming from. Now, <clears throat> there are other effects, and some of the effects that uh, can happen to us is that uh, we can deprive ourselves of things that are healthy for us. You know, simple things like um, sports and games, which can be very, very important in having, have, giving us a feel that we are part of the other people. Now, for example, boys who play soccer and, and basketball with the other boys, without any words being said, just the fact that the ball is passed to you, or when you pass the ball, someone takes your ball and carries on. Without words being said, it says, you are one of us. Yeah, you know, we accept you as, as one of us. That is extremely crucial. And to be deprived of those without even knowing that you're deprived, that's very sad. And that can affect your sense of identity as a boy or a girl. Um, <clears throat> other expectations um, that can push you out of what is the norm um, <clears throat> would be, you know, being anything other than yourself. So I have got to be um, a good Christian. I've got to be a good Muslim. I've got to be a good Buddhist. Or I've got to be a good student because this is a very, very high, uh, highly looked up to school or whatever that uh, place that may be. So um, this high social expectations that that you may perceive that you must show, you must meet up, um, can deprive you of you being who you really are, of you just being yourself. Um, <clears throat> and that is not very healthy because when you do get people giving you praises and, and thumbs up, it is to not to your real self, but to the facade, to what you put up, that is not the real you. That's the one that gets the praise, but not the real you. Now, as you can imagine, this is not happening just among children and students. It is happening among adults. The sad part of it if, is if adults are rewarded for not being who they really are, then the reward is also what they would like their children to have because they don't know of any other way of being. And that again is very sad. So I hope that gives you some idea of um, how the social expectations can come through the mass media. But the, these social expectations can also come through the community that you belong to so for example, if you are coming from a particular ethnicity or a particular group within that ethnicity uh, or even within your family uh, um, group and somehow there is a trait, there is a uh, common, even unspoken understanding that you must live up to the expectations of everybody within that community, within that group, within that family uh, membership. So that can also have a strong 
uh, impact. I don't think I can leave out the impact of religion and parents who are very, very pious, um, who follow their religion very, very strictly or uh, very strongly or are very, very religious can have a negative impact on your children because of that high expectations that can be directly or indirectly passed on to your children. And it can be indirect by the way in which you are a role model, the way in which you carry yourself, and the way in which you say or don't say anything about people who do or don't do according to what you expect them to do. So in Asia and a lot of my clients who are both Asians, they're coming from a uh, conservative cultural uh, ethnicity, as well as having a strong affiliation to their religion, there is a lot of expectations that can be at the back of their minds. And that can rob them of really knowing who they really are. So um, <clears throat> this is something we, we need to think about very carefully, not just as parents, but also as leaders, um, even members of our community, members of our religious community, we need to think about all these things and find a way. How do we not fall into the pressures of these social expectations? And again, I think quite a lot of our religion, what quite a lot of what our religion teaches, does have a lot of wisdom. So, for example, in Christianity, we are not just speaking about poverty, but also the poverty of spirit, the poverty of not having too many things to boast about, the poverty of not being able to be proud, the poverty of not being able to be vainglorious. There is a lot of value in understanding some of these teachings, some of these Christian uh, teachings. And maybe we should integrate some of that into our lives. What more, with all the technologies that makes our lives more and more busy with the high density of work that we are now finding ourselves into, then even more we need to have these Christian teachings to help us, maybe even relieve us of all these pressures. And maybe along the way, we can also help our children to be more who they are, who God has ordained them to be since the beginning of time. And that will help a lot also in their identity development. So. That's all I would say for today. Um, I hope this has been some of some value and for some food for thought for all of you to think about. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for this very succinct and clear presentation. Many parents do have very real expectations of their children, 
Um, but besides parents, uh, I can share that schools can also put lots of pressure on our children too, with their own expectations to maintain the standards in the schools. Um, I remember once my daughter was in secondary school uh, and I met up with her teacher after the mid-year exams in preparation for her major national exams later that year. She told me that I should push my daughter harder at home as she felt she was capable of better results. I, I, I remember telling her I was actually quite fine with where she was. After all, I could see she was already trying her best and I could not ask for anything more. I'm, and I told her I would let her flourish in her own way and in her own time. She gave me a bewildered look and said, You are too lenient. You should push her harder. I suppose this brings across the real point that our children are facing different, sometimes even conflicting viewpoints and pressures from various aspects of society, such as from school and friends. How can we help our children cope with these external pressures that they face, possibly, probably, every day? Well, in this example that you just gave, I think you did a good job <laughs> of uh, giving the right answer. I won't tell you the look she gave me. <laughs> but I think the first important thing is you gave the right answer, you had the right um, approach, the right attitude, and it is very important that you reaffirm your daughter that as long as she has tried her best, and that's all that's that's that you can ask for yeah that's that's excellent and that's your first priority your first responsibility but i must say i think we do have a responsibility to educate such teachers of their errors i'm saying it quite strongly we do have a responsibility to educate such teachers of their errors because they may not know, they may not realize the pressures that they are imposing onto their students can have negative consequences, especially if the children themselves do not have maybe supportive parents like you. For all you know, her own upbringing has got many her own parents may be just as pushy as her and therefore she has no idea that this is not healthy. The first thing to do really is really to protect your child, yes, and as your child gets older, you know, maybe she's in the teenage years or, or when she goes into college, yes, you need to explain even further and you need to explain that there is a lot of benefits to take your time to have the patience and to be careful about not living up to an organization or, or an individual who is in charge of that organization, um, <clears throat> what they want to achieve. Yes, I agree. And we can see how intertwined this issue is with that of affirmation of the child that we covered in the previous podcast. Without that sense of self-worth and self-esteem, it will be just too easy for us to give in to others' expectations, 
that are put on us. I'm also wondering, right, besides schools, the other pressures that our children may face would actually come from their peers, from their friends, whose parents themselves are hard-driving and results-driven. Now, if our children fail to conform to what their peers expect of them in terms of competition or competitiveness, you know, there could be a possibility that they might be left out or at least perhaps they might feel left out of their social circles. The social circles with friends who might mean so much to them at that stage of their lives. Now, how can we help them adapt and handle such pressures that might be put on them by their own friends, by their own peers, to compete and to perform? Yeah, it's not going to be easy if you as a parent are yourself succumbing to the pressures of society and in your uh, circle of friends and in your office work. Okay, uh, let me give you maybe an analogy. If your child now has grown up in a family which is very modest, maybe middle to lower middle income, and there is a lot of time together and not very much dependent on on having money um, you know and, and having high position jobs and high paying jobs but you spend time together okay um, and you know you, you have conversations and, and all of that and your child now constantly has that affirmation that you don't need to be smart or clever or good-looking to be valued and loved and that has got to be backed up by the parent himself or herself meaning how do they feel when other people around them are upgrading into condominiums and having fast cars or, or expensive cars how do you as a parent feel now all that gets transmitted to the child so if we as parents, okay, uh, we have to look at ourselves first. That, that's very, very important. And I would also say that our religious community also have a role to play. To make people who are not rich, you know, who are lower income or, you know, to feel welcome. To feel that they are fine, you are valued. Okay, and, and that is also important before your child can withstand the, the, the race and the, the red race and the pressures that is coming up from her classmates. So the important people around, okay, the parents, the, the community, the religious community, all that has a role to play to give your child that, that strength to say, okay, you know, I, I know uh, this, this guy, he's, he's a wonderful guy, he's not rich, you know, and he's, he's this family is happy, I've, I've spent time with the family, you know, I, no, I don't really have to, you know, uh, to keep up with the Joneses. So we, we need to have that real tangible experience given to our children. Thank you, Brian. Yes, this sounds like another good reminder of the need for proper affirmation of persons, that we should be valued for who we are and not just for what we can do or what we can contribute. 
if I may add, <clears throat> I think when we become parents, we should always be ready for whatever kind of child God gives us. <coughs> so, if for some, for example, if God decides to give us a child with a physical disability or a physical challenge or a mental challenge, if we understand this whole concept of affirmation and we are ready to give that child that sense of being loved and valued, regardless of what the child can or cannot do, then we are fine. Then we are ready to be parents. I, I think that that has to be part of the marriage preparation, as we spoke in the last podcast. Because if there is an unspoken expectation and hope that our children will be more than normal, possibly perfect and high-performing and giving us good name, I have to say you're not entirely ready to be parents. Okay, because anything can happen to your child and God can decide at any time anything can happen to your children. Right, so um, that's to just to add on to what you just said about the importance of being ready to affirm our children. Right. On another note, I'm just wondering, besides these points that you have just mentioned, is there anything else we can do to help our children cope with all the external pressures from school, from the mass media, from other children, their friends, right, and so many others? I did mention in earlier podcasts about the importance of participating in the Mass, in the liturgy, and having the sacraments and teaching our children to pray. Now, why do I say that? Now, <clears throat> I have come across many, many families and children, and generally I would say that the family that prays together are usually more protected. You can see it by the less amount of issues that they have to grapple with. It's not that they don't have any issues. They will have you know, all the different challenges. But generally, they are able to handle things a little better. Now, <clears throat> again, the priests among us, among our, our clergy who are trained in this area of um, deliverance, will tell you that spirits are very intelligent and if they are evil and they want to find a way to trick you they can do so in tremendously insidiously hidden ways and that's where our children needs to be protected um, <clears throat> so let me give you an example of vain glory now vain glory is well, everybody knows what's pride, but vainglory, hmm, hmm, what is that? Well, vainglory was written in the first list of capital sins in the 3rd century by Evagrius and Pope Gregory the Great finalized the capital sins 200 years later in the 5th century. And in doing so, he combined vainglory and pride into just one pride. 
So what is vain glory? Vain glory is showing to people that you are a good Christian, showing to people that you are self-sacrificing, showing to people that you're humble, showing to people that you would do all these good things for the good name of the religion, good name for your family. Now, not that these things are bad, but it's the showing to others part that is not good. I would call this the hidden to self pride. If you're not aware of vainglory, you're not aware that you are in the grip of something that is not good. Um, I'll give you another one. Um, <clears throat> this is one of the insidious teachings. Fun, laughter, and humor is good. Everything you do must be fun, must have humor, must be must have laughter. Very insidious. Now why is that? Because when you have humor, when you have fun, you feel light. And what's the opposite of light? You feel heavy. And when do you feel heavy? You feel heavy when you've done something wrong or when there's something very important that needs to be done. So when you have this belief that everything you do must have fun, humor and laughter, you will not be able to feel the weight of the wrongs that you've done or the weight of important things that needs to be done. And again, many of our children, they're tricked. So the combination of prayers, having time to reflect, as well as having time for listening to the homilies and uh, reading some of the writings of the saints, all that can be very, very helpful. Um, God in his own great wisdom sometimes sends us signals, sends us uh, a warning sign when things don't go right. And, you know, with prayer and time to reflect, as well as family members to talk about, we can actually help our children uh, to, to find out, oh, okay, maybe I should have done this, maybe I should have done that. And the best time to do this is before your children go to sleep. I say again, the best time to do this is before the children go to sleep. Now, why is that? Because our brains, there are two two parts to learning. You know? So one is that the first part is it goes in, it becomes episodic memory. And then nighttime when the child sleeps, the brain continues to process and it goes into schematic memory. Um, so firstly, having enough sleep is very important. Secondly, what does your child learn or what is the last thing that a child sees before the child goes to sleep? That's the one that will have this greatest uh, effect in going in into the schema of how the child understands what is right and wrong. Now, this also goes in line with awareness exam. You know, every day before your child goes to bed, okay, how, was it? how was your day? Okay, what happened? And, oh, oh, so this happened, okay, so, you know, um, what have you learned about this, this incident that has happened? So helping your child to go through all of these will be very helpful. So when your child tells you that he's feeling this pressure from this person, this person says that, and, and all of that, so these are some of the very, very important things that we can discuss 
together with the prayers, together with the time uh, to reflect. I think all this will be very helpful for the children. Thanks so much for those great insights, Brian. Um, just for the benefit of our listeners, I hope perhaps you could allow me um, just this opportunity to run through what you just said earlier for the sake of clarification. Okay, our God is a God of joy. He's not a killjoy, all right? He's not a wet blanket. He wants us to be happy. But being happy, being truly happy, is a consequence of living out His image, living out love, doing what is right, what is good. However, the deception that some of our children might fall for is to treat that feeling of so-called happiness, in inverted commas, huh? To just look for that feeling of fun and laughter as an end in itself, rather than as a consequence of doing what is right, as a consequence of seeking what is true, good, and beautiful, right? And in so doing, they might disregard how they go about achieving this good feeling, as in the examples of drugs, drinks, and premarital sex. Yeah. <clears throat> And the other point is to let our children have a solid preparation for sleep. So it would be a good practice for parents to guide them during the time through a simple examination of conscience, uh, of prayer and continual affirmation of their goodness and beauty, right? Letting them know how much God loves them, how much Jesus loves them for who they are rather than what they can do. Because... They are beautifully made, period. And then giving them a little blessing, a little sign of the cross on the forehead before they sleep to let them know that Jesus loves them and they belong to him and he will protect them. All right? And to let them know that we are always there for them and that no matter what happens, we will always love them, no matter what. So these are little actions that we can give um, our children, right? That will give them a lot of affirmation and security before they sleep. Yes. Um, may I just highlight that something a little bit more? And this is about sleep. Um, there are two parts to sleep. The first part, the first, you know, everybody needs at least around eight hours of sleep. So the first part is about four hours is just restful sleep. The second part, which is when you're dreaming, that is very important for the brain. And that's where the, the, the eyes are moving and, rapid eye, and the rapid eye movement and the brain is very active. And that's when a lot of processing of what has happened in the daytime. So it's going from episodic memory into schematic memory. Now, when a child does not have enough sleep, you're depriving the child of that rapid eye movement, the second part. Okay, so instead of getting the full eight hours, you're getting only six hours you're depriving the child of two hours of these um, very important brain uh, processing. A lot of children today, especially in the uh, secondary school, teenage, they are not getting enough sleep. One is coming from social expectations and pressure. The other one is when your children do not have enough affirmation and then there is pressure, they will need to find some kind of 
affect relief and that comes from computer games and that comes from getting engaged in social media and this in turn prevents them from getting enough sleep and so in today's school life there's tremendous pressure for children to not have enough sleep and therein comes in this very important um, emphasis that I'm trying to say that parents should tell the children how important sleep is and maintain that from young kindergarten primary school secondary school in fact I dare say secondary school that's when you need more sleep up to nine hours because the brain is growing very fast it's processing a lot of things and especially when you're putting in together all the morality the sense of right and wrong the pressures that's coming in the brain needs a lot of processing time so even more we must not let the pressures of society push our children to not have enough sleep wow that's very useful information for parents and children brian maybe just to concretize it a little bit more can you perhaps give us a guideline as to the approximate number of hours of sleep that our children need from early childhood say to secondary school or high school as it is known in some other countries? Um, toddlers and um, those who are in kindergarten, of course, they have their cycle. Usually they can sleep when they're tired. But generally for um, primary school, secondary school onwards, the guideline is eight hours. However, when there is a lot of studies going on, you need more sleep because the brain is very active. In fact, your children will tell you, the more I read, the more I study, the more sleepy I get. <laughs> okay? It's, it's, you know, people will say, oh, you're just lazy. No, no, no. It's the brain saying, wait, wait, wait. I need to sort out what you have absorbed. <laughs> okay? So, um, that's generally the guideline, okay? That if you have a lot of reading and brain work to do, you need a lot of sleep. But really, the best is to have a balance of physical activity, a, a good balanced diet, um, good amount of socialization, and then, you know, there's time to do work, and then there's good sleep, uh, good rest. So all that needs to be there in a nice and balanced way. And therefore, again, do not allow teachers who, for, who just push you to get the best results and forget about everything else. Okay, so they may have that in their lives and they may be rewarded to you know, be promoted, but no, there's a lot more behind all of that. So um, I hope that gives you some guidelines, you know, that yes, uh, we do need a lot of sleep. Now, not forgetting also that if there is some kind of... Um, Maybe sickness, the child definitely needs more sleep if the child is not feeling well. When the child is not feeling well emotionally, the child also needs more sleep. Okay, so maybe the dog passed away, you know, maybe the, the friend, you know, has, has moved away and they're the feeling sad, they need more sleep. <laughs> okay, uh, so it, they, they don't need distraction, they need more sleep, you know, and, and to have someone to be with them all the time. Our physiology over the last few hundred years has not changed. But electricity 
and lights has changed, lifestyle has changed. Okay, so before electricity was invented, people sleep as much as 10, 11 hours every night. But now it's a lot less. But our physiology has not changed. On top of that, the mental pressures and the mental activity that we are engaged in, in these days is much more. And that tells you that our brains actually need more rest in order to be able to process it during sleep time. So when we deprive our children, when we give them only six to seven hours but push them hard because they must finish their um, homework and, and all of that, there is a lot that is going to be missing out, particularly in the socialization of the child, in the physical development of the child, okay, and, and even emotional um, interactions. All that is going to be affected. Okay, because it just, the child just doesn't have those exposure and those times. So, yes, I would say pay more attention and be more serious about ensuring that your child does have a balanced life in all aspects. Okay, while we wish to give our children the space and time to flourish in their own way, we also recognize as parents, right, that there may be times when we sense they might not be possibly choosing paths uh, that might be for their own good. Um, maybe choosing paths or making decisions that might even be detrimental to their future based on our knowledge and experience. How can we tell them in a way that does not put unnecessary pressure on them to conform to our expectations, so to speak? Um, before that happens, I again would like to emphasize how important it is to establish a good relationship with your child from the very beginning so that these trends of the child you know having an interest in a direction which may not be good can be picked up as early as possible now too often when parents find out it's a bit late and the reason why it's late because the parents did not have a close enough relationship with the child and the child has not have does not have the habit of having an open uh, and conversation with the with the parents about anything and anything under the sun so this is very crucial um, <clears throat> sometimes I also see one parent having a sense that a child is going in the wrong direction, but the other parent says, ah, there's nothing, leave him alone, leave her alone. Uh, again, you know, very important for both parents to be communicating to each other, that's number one. Number two, to also be engaged in the same way. So this is very important. This can prevent quite a lot of instances where when you finally find out it's too late or it's very late okay so that's one thing now <clears throat> when you do find such a, a situation where the child is choosing something and you, you know it's not very good well you need to find out whether the child has considered all the options all the pros and cons now assuming that you have raised your child well assuming that you you know that your child has been brought up in a way that 
you want the child to be able to consider all the other points and everything. Now don't forget that there's every possibility that the child knows more about that subject than you do. So again, ask your child, you know, what have you found out about this direction that you're going to? Okay, and your child might tell you more and oh I didn't know about this, I didn't know about that. So it can be a discovery, a learning journey for both you and the child, and that's good. And then your concerns can still be part of your child's desire to choose that direction. And I think that's fine. I think that's okay. Um, <clears throat> but again, assuming that, yeah, things are too late, uh, the communication is not very good, the child has been already influenced in a bad way and somehow has cut you off, well, don't forget that as parents, um, your prayers are very powerful on your children. Okay, you can ask God to protect your child. You ask God to provide all the wisdom to your child and to, pro to, to provide you with all the wisdom and all the, the graces that you need to be able to be there for your child when your child needs you. Okay, and also to know when to uh, take a step back and and let your child, you know, find his or her own way, even though it is a dangerous way. So there are many, many considerations, and I hope uh, what I've just said somehow would give some directions and some tips for parents. Yes, it certainly does. In fact, if I may say, what you have just said seems to form the foundation for Catholic parenting in a sense, right? First, the connection with Christ the source and summit of our life, right, as Catholics. The importance of good prayer life, regular reading and reflection of the Word of God, receiving the sacraments, right, this is so important. And then that leads us to the second important connection we need, connection with His Church, the body of Christ, right, through which His graces and life flow. So we follow her teachings and finally, the third connection, connection with our children, which is really founded on a good relationship, founded on proper and regular affirmation and being there for them no matter what happens and having a very good relationship, communication with them, right? Always showing them we love them for who they are, not for what they can do or how much honour they can bring to us from the societal point of view. So, like I said, what you've just covered really seems to have summarised most of what Catholic parenting is supposed to be. So thank you very much, Brian. Thank you for for your, your or giving me this opportunity. Once again, we have had the opportunity to hear from Brian Shen, who shared with us today on how we can help our children cope with the expectations and pressures that society may place on them in the form of the media, schools, and friends outside the confines of the home. So thank you very much once again, Brian. Thank you. Bye-bye.